Welcome to Write Your Book in a Flash with Dan Janelle, the only podcast where you'll learn how successful people just like you have grown their businesses, expanded their influence, and made more money by writing a book. On each episode, you'll learn the inside secrets to help you create a book that can serve as a powerful marketing tool to skyrocket your business. I'm your host, Dan Janelle. I help thought leaders, business executives, and entrepreneurs write their books. To find out more, go to writeyourbookinaflash.com. Telling stories is a great way to build rapport with your audience when you're writing your book. Be sure to include stories in your book. In today's session, you'll learn a lot of great tips on how to include stories in your book. Let's get started. Jay, we're so glad you're here because, frankly, I wanted to learn how to tell those stories more effectively for my next book and also to help all of my clients learn how to tell better stories uh, with all the tools and tips that you're going to give us today. So thank you very much for being here. Let me read your bio. Uh, Jerry England is a business and story coach and creator of the GPS Guiding Personal Story and Discover Your Story to Success System. She offers signature workshops on appreciative inquiry applications and strategic storytelling for business. Jerry works with coaches, consultants, and business leaders who want to increase their influence, impact, and income by leveraging their coaching, communication, and storytelling skills. As a result, they're able to grow their businesses and careers making a difference doing what they love. Jerry is co-author of A Practitioner's Guide to Positive Questions and The Gift, as well as a contributing author of Rock Your Life, encouraging stories to inspire and motivate you to rock your life. Hmm, I think there's some commonality here that I might want some consulting with you on, Jerry. So thank you for uh, pointing that out. Uh, She received her professional coach training and certifications through the Coaches Training Institute, Coactive Leadership, Story Coach Inc., World Class Speaking Program, and John Maxwell Team. She is a graduate of Texas A&M University and Amberton University. She has held leadership positions at AT AT&T, Nortel, GTE, and Verizon, as well as two nonprofits. She is also a member of several oral storytelling and writing groups in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Our website is jerryengland.com. So thank you for joining us, Jerry. Thank you. So imagine that you own your own company and you just found out that the people that you work for are bad-mouthing you to your customers. What would you do? That's the situation that my company that I used to work for, GTE and Verizon, found itself in several years ago when they went through a major 17,000 employee downsizing in one year. And as you can imagine, uh, the devastation to the workforce was unbelievable. Um, And I remember having to fill out a questionnaire that my boss gave me about all my job duties and tasks. And I found out later that he and all the other managers and leaders had to use those questionnaires to determine overlaps and redundancies and then eliminate jobs from our, what, we, what we answered. And so most of us were constantly living in fear throughout that year because every month another ax dropped. You know, we, people were being laid off every month. And as you can imagine, people were always on pins and needles wondering if they were gonna get the ax next. And the morale was really in the gutter, literally. And we had always had pretty high um, employee satisfaction levels where anywhere from 50, 60, 70% or 80% satisfaction on a scale of one to 100 on the employee opinion surveys. And once the downsizing occurred, some of those groups, especially the ones facing customers, 
like the installation repairman, the sales reps, those kinds of people were rating their satisfaction with the company at less than 10% on that same scale. And productivity plummeted, uh, people slowed down their work, focus was lacking, it was crazy. And of course, the top leadership agonized over what they were going to do about this. And eventually, I met a consultant named David Cooperwriter, who introduced our company to a new process of managing change and re-engaging employees, which used the term, his terminology was appreciative inquiry. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later, what it means. But essentially, what we did was work on creating a storytelling culture for our company. And we, uh, I was uh, uh, put on the team along with a number of other people to implement the processes with these employees to re-engage them. And what we did is we worked with teams and I worked with many, many, many groups anywhere from size from in sizes of five to six to two to 300 people in a group. And we put them in pairs and had them introduce, had them interview each other about the stories when they were working at their best in the company. So they were the good news stories when they really excelled and they felt good about what they were doing. And then what we did is we took those stories and we passed them around the organization, spread them around the organization. And gradually morale started building. We taught people how to use the process. We had one employee, for example, who conducted 100 interviews in her call center personally and found out from those interviews, the theme was that employees wanted and needed more recognition. They weren't getting it. And so from that, the, with the approval of the leadership of the local uh, call center, she and her uh, fellow employees created a, a, a recognition team or committee and took all these employee ideas and created a recognition program for the employees. And the morale went through the roof. I mean, it completely turned the organization around. And that gives you an idea of how powerful this was. And what we were using was storytelling, <laughs> storytelling to change the culture. And this, it, we were so successful that our employee opinion satisfaction went back up, returned to a higher level than it was before the downsizing. And we won, won the uh, American Association of Talent Best Practice Award for the Best Culture Initiative for that year. And I tell you about this because I recognize that in a lot of instances, because of my experiences with those employees and the coaching I've done since then, since then with individual clients, that it's often hard to get those stories out of people. And we need better processes to be able to do that. And so today, what I want to do is, uh, and may I share this slide uh, deck with you now? Please, uh, yes, you should have the ability to share the screen. Okay, so let me uh, share my screen here and we'll get that. Let's hope that this is going to show up properly. Can you see it? Yes. Excellent. Okay. All right. Very good. So today we will spend some time talking about some of those processes that I used and things I've learned since then with my clients individually and in teams. And they re uh, revolve around these topics, um, building rapport and confidence in our clients so they're more open to sharing their stories, some story prompts and a discussion around story listening strategies that I use as a coach, and then tools, a, a few tools for finding and telling and writing better stories. So first of all, let me ask you all, uh, Dan and I talked about this a little bit 
Um, but I'm curious to know what are the challenges that you find in working with your clients and pulling out those stories? What are some of the things you've run into? And you can put those in the chat or you can just um, speak up. I'm trying to see if I can find the chat here again, open it up for myself. Okay. So uh, what are some of those challenges that you all have encountered when you're working with clients to pull out those good stories? If anyone would like to unmute themselves and share, that's fine. If you'd like to put it in chat, that's fine too. Okay. Oh, Jane okay, says, yeah. People Jane. not recognizing what their good stories are. Yeah. That's good. Yes. I'd like to add, people don't realize that they have a good story. Um, they, uh, they'll gloss over something else and I'll say, oh my gosh, that's a signature story. <laughs> this, is, this is a pot of gold. And you realize how wonderful this story is. Yeah. Uh, they don't value their stories. Uh, also writes getting details that make a story good for others to read. Uh, mm -hmm. I would add dialogue. Um, oh, can yeah. you add dialogue uh, to these stories if you don't if you're not in the moment, you know, can you recreate those dialogues? Are there any ethical questions about that or mm -hmm. how would you handle that? Any other comments? Janice writes, uh, they don't know how to tell a story, no sense of conflict, weak yeah. humor, flat endings, always wanting to make themselves heroic. Wow, yeah. that's, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head there with a lot of things there, Janice. So I'm sure Jerry has a lot to work with here. So <laughs> Jerry, take it away. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, so let me, um, I'm trying to move my slide deck here. And it, there it is. So, So a lot of the things that you just said were similar to my experiences that people are self-conscious, especially when they're first talking with you or they're self-effacing. They don't like want to acknowledge or brag. Sometimes people think they're bragging if they're going to tell you a story about a success, that sort of thing. And then also sometimes they wonder how much you can really help them. I've had that happen. And the other thing I think you've already hit on that was the story, the blocks, the limiting beliefs they have about stories, that they don't have good stories that they're not good storytellers, that's something somebody else does, that, that sort of thing. And I found that um, one of the best tools that I think that can be useful in building rapport and client confidence and being willing to share is the appreciative inquiry tool that we used at Verizon and GTE. And so I don't know if any of you have had exposure to this before. Has anybody been exposed to appreciative inquiry in the past? I've never okay. heard that term before, so let's okay. dig into that. Okay. okay. So so basically, if you look at the words from the dictionary, appreciate an inquiry, it becomes pretty obvious after a moment when you think about it. Appreciate, you know, you're looking for value, you're, you're uh, prizing something, you're honoring something. And then inquiry is actually asking questions, you know, studying or looking into, exploring, learning more about something, wanting to know more. And when you put the two words together, appreciative inquiry, you get something like asking about and learning what people mo value most in either a person, an organization, or a situation. So that's, you know, what we did when I was working with GT and Verizon. We had employees actually appreciatively studying or inquiring into the organization. And we found through their stories what was of value, what was meaningful, and what they wanted to replicate and take forward. And so today, what I wanted to do is give you all the opportunity to actually experience what this is like to conduct an appreciative interview with someone. What I have here is I only wanted to give you the first part of the, of the, of the interview. 
because it can go on for quite a bit. It can be much longer than five minutes. But um, I was hoping we'd have more people so we'd have more people to share. But I think we've got an even number. So with four people, we can put people in the pairs. And here is the, 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 the task or the instruction is when you get in your breakout room with your partner, here's the question to ask. First of all, decide who's going to be the first speaker and, and then listener. And then you'll change roles at the end and repeat the process. So here's the, the, the premise or the prompt for you to consider. Think of a time when you were highly engaged in your work, or it could be a project or a hobby or interest, whatever you want to choose. Maybe it was a time when you made an important contribution or a time when you were really satisfied and pleased about your involvement, your actions. So it should be a high point in your life, whether it's your career, your business, your um, a trip or whatever it is. And then pick one and then share the story with your partner. And then the partner's role is to be a good listener, an active listener. And then if you sense that there's more that you can draw out from the person, from your partner, then you can ask follow-up questions like, what was happening? What was that like? What were you doing? Who else was involved? What are the results? What are some of the qualities and skills you used in this situation? And how did you feel? What did you learn? Those are the examples of questions that you could use. You don't have to use any of these or all of them. It's up to you how it goes with your partner. And then once I encourage people to take notes when we did this, when I did it with NGT Verizon and also with many of my clients, I encourage people to take notes because then later in a group or a team, we share that information. So it's not a good idea to take the notes. And then when you're done with the first person, you swap roles and repeat the process. Okay, so let's move on. So this was just a list of questions that I have that I try to consider for myself when I'm uh, working with somebody about, and this is about myself and my self-management. You know, what are my intentions? Am I properly prepared? Uh, do I have my re re preconceived notions going on? Like uh, Janice pointed out a minute ago, uh, am I really open? Am I putting aside judgments about people? So it's always that presence. What kind of presence do I have that allows people to feel comfortable and safe and be willing to confide in me. So let's talk about the last part of this uh, presentation. It has to do with what I call my story dig. It's the language that I use and tools for mining and telling better stories. And some of these things are probably going to be things that you all already do, but um, I want to throw them out here as things that I consider whenever I'm trying to think of a story that I want to tell or use in a presentation or when I'm teaching. And one of the things that these are four areas that I think are very fruitful is people, places, things, and events. So again, if you're trying to parse, get things out of people for a memoir or something else, if you can focus on those four areas of, and help them think of stories around those things, then you, you can get a gold mine of information. And then photographs. Uh, I have had several situations where I had someone bring a photograph to a coaching session. You'll bring your favorite photograph, family photograph, whatever it is, whether it be of a trip or something else, and then tell, get them to tell me the story about that photograph. So it's like uh, bringing an artifact to, into the story, any kind of object, you know, where they could tell a story about it, which would be another place to look to pull things out of people. I had one situation where someone brought us a picture of a family photo from like early in the 1900s. And it was five women and three men. They were all dressed up in their Sunday best. 
And all the women had long, long hair and it was wrapped around the front of their shoulders. And she went back and interviewed family members about that and then uh, went to the little town where they lived and interviewed people who were living at the time. And she was able to get a fabulous story based on that research just from that one photograph. Um, any comments or observations from the group about that? Yeah, I think that's brilliant. You know, uh, again, going back to the book where I wrote with the general who would tell stories in very chronological order because that's the way he was trained. Uh, and at the end of the chronological order, you found out that his mission was to rescue 35 people who were trapped on uh, the top of the building and they're being assaulted by, you know, enemy forces and how he got them out. It's like, OK, we're going to start the story there. Um, but when we were done with the book and I got everything I thought I could get from him, which was good. I mean, I was happy with it. Then he said, can we put pictures in the book? And I said, sure. So he sent me pictures. I said, there he is in a helicopter. There he is in a fighter plane. There he is, you know, jumping out of a plane or practicing. It's like, oh, my God, you know, tell me a story about the time when you jumped out of a plane. <laughs> it's like, you know, it, it would have been so, so many more, so much more yeah. drama. Yeah. It's a great so, well, pictures. I never thought about that. Because the pictures are usually the last part of the book. Now I think we're going to make them or one of the earlier parts of the book to get to encourage that storytelling and get them back in the moment. I think psychologically it gets them back in the moment. So yeah. I think that's really brilliant. Thank you very um, much. Yeah, and to build on that, Dan, that's what I try to do when I'm interviewing people is to tell tell me the stories the story as if you were experiencing it now, not in the past tense, but bring us to the place and live it with relive it for us with me or with the group, so that it's not past experience. You know, sometimes people don't want to do that, but a lot of times they do. And if they tell it from that orientation, sometimes you get more richness. I mean, mm -hmm. I, it's, it's something to experiment with. One of the things that I use as a tool when I'm writing, I write short stories and I'm part of a couple of writing groups. And so I love to do both fiction and nonfiction short stories. Mm -hmm. And so one of the tools that I use is I created something called a sensory matrix and uh, in the writing of the story that then I will read or I will tell in a, in a presentation or a speech. But I, uh, you know, look at all, every part, every scene, every part of the story, the character and the, the actions that are going on. And I go through all the senses and emotions with, um, for myself, I hope I can move that over so you all can see it. I'm not sure how well you can see this. But um, anyway, um, the idea being that if I create if I have a list of each scene and each character, especially the main character, and then I go through and look at what, is there anything that ha can I can say, what does it smell like? What does it taste like? What does it feel like physically? What does it feel like emotionally? What does it sound like? What does it look like? That sort of thing. Then I get back into the uh, sensory language of emotions and feelings and senses, which will make the story much richer. And of course, my thesaurus is my my trusty tool, but I just wanted to throw that out there as a as a reminder. And and as writers, you already know this, but sometimes just being reminded is a valuable thing for me anyway. When I start to write something, so I I look for like a hundred ways that the word anger can be expressed, oh. and I look for the verbs that'll I can use, and then the any kind of adjectives, but I don't use many adverbs. I try not to use many. When I took creative writing a number of years ago, we they told us to we had to underline and circle every adjective and adverb that we had in our pieces. It was unbelievable. It was such a huge 
eye opener for me uh, as a writer to avoid overloading with some things when I could take a powerful verb and use it. All right, let's go to the next one. So I do use a lot of other tools in my coaching and in my um, practice and teaching as well as writing. And I have a whole list of them here. There's no way that we could cover any of these, but I just wanted to say that there's a lot more that I've learned and kind of created for myself, which are probably related to a lot of things that you all do, but those are just some of them that I um, um, actually created for myself. And for example, I mentioned art artifacts like the photographs, for example, or archetypes, someone mentioned that earlier. And some of you talked about the elements of a story, those things that need to be included. And I have some tools that I share in my workshops for people to be able to use and apply. Uh, and I also wanted then to just segue into this and offer a complimentary consultation session. If anybody is interested, I know you're writers, uh, but at the same time, we always are learning. I'm a lifelong learner, so I'm always committed to learning as much as I can. So if you are interested in learning a little bit more and seeing whether or not there's some value that I could offer to you, then you could put your uh, information, your, in the, you know, your um, email in the chat. And then I will follow up with you and we can book a call together. It's free 30 minute consultation. And then also I want to offer to you a, a free gift, which is just my little uh, tool that I use, the sensory matrix that I put together. And if you're interested in that, you can put your email in the chat and then I will send that to you. So the end. Thanks for listening. You can find more than 175 other videos on this YouTube channel on how to write your book in a flash. Check them out. Thank you for listening to the Write Your Book in a Flash podcast with Dan Janelle, the only podcast that shows you exactly how people just like you have built their businesses by writing a book. If you'd like to write your book but don't know where to start, you can find great information at writeyourbookinaflash.com. If you're ready to take your next step to write the book that can transform your business, I invite you to schedule a free, no obligation consulting call with me by going to writeyourbookinaflash.com. We'll be back next week with another insightful interview to help you become a top business leader.